Welcome to episode 46 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, Frontline and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Prue, and Tony. Hello! All right, you can disappear now, Tony. <laughs> See you later. Tony, Tony will be back with us later on in the show. You know what? While this is a podcast, visually, that was just brilliant. <laughs> Exit stage left. On the plus side, we get to look at Tony's bookshelves for the next half. Yeah, hour, so. I, d- I just hope like a, a cat comes and sits in front of the video or something. <laughs> that would be funny. This came pretty much out of the blue, but uh, basically later in the year, um, we'll hear something a bit like this, um, yeah, later in 2023. Tonight, four special guests face the ultimate dramatic challenge on Thank God You're Here. Now, please welcome your host, Celia Pacuola. That's that's just an artist's impression But uh, yeah, there were teasers running on uh, Channel 10's uh, coverage of the Australian Formula 1 Grand Prix And uh, it was then later confirmed by TV Tonight Who did it on uh, the 2nd of April uh, So that uh, nobody would think that it was uh, their annual April Fool's Day joke (laughs) Did did, Did you see this year's one? No Basically, uh, TV Tonight uh, said that uh, Dr. Chris Brown, who we knew was uh, moving to Channel 7 uh, mid this year, uh, would be hosting a reboot of Man Oh Man. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> Is that the one Sorry. where they See, went I'd through the brick, where they went through the <laughs> Man-sized shape in the wall? No, 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 no. no, no that no. was hole in the this wall. This is this is where. <laughs> no, this is where they they got pushed into the pool by like That's sexy right. models. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do come on, everyone watched this in the 90s. We did, we did. Rob, Rob Guest and uh, he was the host, and Shane Jacobson was a contestant at one stage. <laughs> I mm-hmm. was into him, I remember, in the early 90s. <laughs> well, that, that that's something to admit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all, all we know is that it will be coming back this year on Channel 10, uh, and it will be hosted by Celia Pacrola as to who will be part of the ensemble cast. Uh, who will be uh, the judge uh, taking over from uh, Tom Gleisner. Uh, we don't know at the moment. So we don't even know guests. I think this is a great idea. I think it was a well-loved show and there's loads of really young, talented, great people at improv around the local comedy community in Melbourne and Australia. So, And actually, this comedy festival, I've seen so many funny people from New Zealand. So it would be good, you know, like they've done with the cheap seats to sort of have a bit of a trans-Tasman travel bubble scenario. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting uh, you mentioning about um, uh, possible new talent, Prue, because uh, um, that may have been uh, the reason why, thank God you're here, ended after four seasons in the first place. As uh, Tommy G uh, said to Ed Cavalier on his podcast, EKP. The only reason we stopped, I, I think, I think it was not not for lack of scenarios. Um, 
more for lack of um, uh, a talent, as, as in uh, we, we didn't want <laughs> right. to overuse the, the people we loved, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, Sean Angus, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Julia Zemiro, yeah. Cal Wilson, you know, just fantastic yeah. performers. We got to a point where we thought, oh, we, we, we didn't know whether there were too many other people out there that could do it, as yeah. we used to say, who yeah. could step through the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we didn't want to get to the point where we went, oh, God, not Angus Sampson again, because that would be... No, I know it's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was probably the because, main reason yeah. we thought, you know what, I think, I think, I think we're done. Oh, fair enough. So um, just a bit of a question without notice. Who would you want to see going through the big blue door um, on the rebooted Thank God You're Here? Who hasn't been through the door? Stephen Hall. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think <laughs> as much as I love the people who were on it and the people who were on Mad as Hell and everything, there is they are getting a bit old and I do think it is – I think it's a show that it could showcase a lot of young talent. My favourite comedians that I've saw, seen this year, Scout Boxall, Stu Dolman, um, Michael Hing. You know, there's so many women now, Michael, Michelle Brazier. Like there's some really wonderful people. There's just absolute smorgasbord of people that you could get that are not in the category of comic that we have always loved who are now like 50. Actually, you know who will be great? This fantastic comedian, he's young, sets Twitter on fire a lot uh, with his witty liners and stuff like that. Caleb Bond. Mm. <laughs> I don't know him, but sounds good. <laughs> okay, that joke's gone right over you. Yeah, I say it's hard tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> he's a conservative commentator. Oh, seen it, yeah. seen oh dear. Then on, on Sky News. Shit ass. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing um any of the Auntie Donna trio uh yeah, go on absolutely. there. Maybe yeah, not, I, I maybe, was gonna say Auntie Donna. Yeah. I don't know whether maybe having all three of them I, I in, don't know. in separate I don't know. scenarios Do, would be they... a step too far. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they can do improv. I've seen them live and it was very their, script, very scripted. That that's their cup of tea. Improv is their thing. That was I think their... I think the real challenge will be trying to not be filthy. In a in a presumably seven thirty time slot, um, it, yeah. like go, going yeah. going by their their latest magnum opus, guess which one of us has a vibrator in their bottom? Yeah. That is Arnie Dotter's coffee cafe. <laughs> also, it'd be kind of interesting to maybe get Ed, Ed Cavalier back um, and get him sort of on the other side of the ensemble, as it were, considering he's now you know a high flying Sydney breakfast radio star. Yeah, I really hope he isn't part of the ensemble um, because, yeah, no, I think it'd be, it'd, it'd be good to have him back as a guest sort of. Yeah, a, a, like a I think he's too much of, of a personality to be part of an ensemble. Like it's good when they're sort of actors who are, you know. Maybe Sammy Lura. Oh, oh. too obscure again, jeez. Too yeah, obscure again, it. yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how how, how you can even. Ex- it's a meat pie reference. <laughs> Far out. That movie that Ed um, doesn't no, twenty years ago. That, yeah, that, well, that I, in. Yeah. I only thought of that because someone who's in that movie I used to work with, and then I was meant, about to mention his name because he's a good improv person, and then it went to that semi Lurus shit. Ignore me. <sighs> anyway, working dog are taking um, requests for uh, to be in the audience, uh, not only for thank God you're here, but also. Uh, the cheap seats and have you been paying attention? 
So you can apply at workingdog.com slash audience. And um, if you do make it to the audience of uh, Thank God You're Here, maybe give us, you know, a bit of a heads up as to as to what we can expect in the new series. Not, not necessarily having to spoil anything, but uh, it'd be nice to have the inside word from somebody who's in the audience if you manage to snag a ticket. Other news, Tony Martin recently did a voiceover for previous Champagne Comedy podcast guest Danilich uh, for his Irrational Fear podcast, a video in particular. The Irrational Fear Mint presents a unique opportunity to own a piece of Australian political idiocy. <laughs> you can now own Tim Smith's fence cover-up <laughs> because he refuses to. I'm going to need some time. Uh, to reflect. I'm reflecting on my position. I'm reflecting on my position. Made from 100% Bunnings particle board, collect a piece of the sheet that covered up a hole in the fence created by a drink-driving Tim Smith. Maybe the worst Victorian Liberal ever, if it wasn't for the whole Nazi thing. <laughs> this is an inspired thing to do because it's actually legit. Like they've mm -hmm. actually got the piece of fence and they're auctioning it off. And I, I reckon I can just imagine Dan going, right, who was the person who was most into this story? Tony Martin. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, it did eventually go off. Uh, the highest bid going for $3,701. Wow. And the money raised went to the Australian Seeker Resource Centre. So good on you, Dan. And that is a Rational Fear podcast, just a shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> and other news, there's something that's being uh, digitally remastered or 1080p upscaled because it was filmed on videotape. And that is Houseboat Horror. The view's magnificent. You're a bar <laughs> up. It's actually getting an official Blu-ray release from Umbrella Entertainment, and now, now, um, now, now it, hang on, that uh, this this also was an April Fool's Day gag. So, so this is yes. actually becoming real. It's legit, one hundred percent, because they uh, promoted it after April Fool's Day. So it was a few days afterwards. They teased it on uh, the Facebook page. Quoting the views magnificent, you're far up, and I'm going. Oh, there's no way. There's no way in hell that it'll be houseboat horror, but it is. There's heaps of stuff with it, uh, including other other than a color correction. Um, there's many bonus features, uh, including an interview with Gavin Wood, uh, commentary from Tony as well from Tony Martin. Okay. Um, yeah, and including a the segment of undiscovered masterpieces of the cinema from the Late Show, which has oh never been commercially released. I'm so annoyed that I now have to buy this piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two versions available one on pre-order oh sorry the, the, at the time of this recording they're on pre-order they're coming out around june i think the regular blu-ray uh which is at the time about 40 dollars, and then there's this big pack which comes with po uh, postcards and bits and pieces and a band in queensland badge and all that go to umbrella entertainment's website uh to see what it is and also all the other extra features so uh, it's even got uh, Brian Mannix knockout hits as well. So um, it's all <laughs> wow. there, all the trimmings. But the fact is that this is going to be the first item that a uh, the late show footage that hasn't been released mm. before is going to be on a, on uh, on Blu-ray. So excited! Please, if you if you get it, review it and tell us how many uh, dolph heads. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. 
Also, an- another uh, movie thing or a documentary that's coming out on Blu-ray is The Devil at Your Heels. It's getting uh, a restoration and uh, from Canadian International Pictures uh, and it's coming on Blu-ray in 2024. So while it's been out in VHS and DVD... Uh, it's also available legally on YouTube. Yes. Is this a D-Gen production? No. no. Right. It's a documentary from the from the Canadian uh, Film Board. Yeah, I just wondered if it had the um, late show intro that was on telly and... Don't know as yet, but I highly doubt no. it. Yeah, yeah pro- probably not. It is coming from Canada. Mm. So look out for that next year, or 2024, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Two more things. I'm so sorry that there's just so, <laughs> so much, much going news. on. Yes. So much stuff happened since our last episode. Bumper crop. Now, this is to the theatre, to the stage, and Judith Lucy is making her Melbourne Theatre Company debut in Samuel Beckett's Happy Days. Yes, and also MTC has Tom Gleisner's musical. I'm sure you're about to say that as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, Judith Lucy's debut, uh, that Happy Days, is starting May 1st, uh, 2023. Uh, and on stage, as you mentioned uh, as well, Tom Gleisner's new show, Bloom, with uh, music by Kate Weston. Here's a little snippet, not of the the theatre performance, but of Tom. The idea for Bloom came a few years ago. I was um, reading a newspaper article about a nursing home, I think in the Netherlands, uh, who were offering free accommodation to local college students in return for them helping out around the home. I got called into Working Dog sometime in late 2019, um, something to do with music, and I walked in and met Tom Gleisner and his colleagues, and. Um, they pitched Bloom to me and uh, wrote them some music and the rest is history. Netherlands, this is dizzy stuff, folks. <laughs> <laughs> now, if anyone has booked for Happy Days, assuming it's going to be a nice sort of fun thing set in a 50s diner, <laughs> you may find that it it isn't no. quite that. It's a Beckett um, play. Spoiler, <laughs> it's a Beckett play. And Judith will spend a lot of the time in a heap of rubble. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sure she'll be amazing. I, I have seen it. I'm trying to imagine what she would be like in it. I'm sure she'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that's happening. Uh, Bloom uh, performing between July 18 to August 19, 2023. So if you're listening to this after that time, I'm sorry, it's over. You missed it. <laughs> yep. Tickets are on sale now. Other than that. Oh, Jesus. Daniel G and his very speedy program guide. Oh dear, I'm on the clock. Okay, so uh, Monday the 13th of June happens to be the Queen's birthday holiday. So uh, up against Frontline, uh, we've actually got highlights from two of today's uh, AFL matches on Channel 7. So Richmond v Collingwood and Footscray v Essendon. Uh, Yeah, just the highlights. We also... uh, have on Channel 10, uh, Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. Uh, Ross Greenwood meets a group of successful inventors. Ronnie Burns hedges his bets with the story that has him sitting on the fence. Tonya Todman meets artist Jasmine Pugh. Peter Werrett looks at tyre pressure. Lynn Talbot discusses the benefits of drinking water. And, he- and Ian Hewitson prepares Coco Van at Scotchman's Hill Winery. Oh, my God, the 90s. 
Tonya, Tonya. Tire pressure. Tire pressure. Oh my god, I've I've got I've got a I've got a watch five minutes of a bloke banging on about tire pressure. Let's not go out tonight, just, kids. Just to get to that Cobham van recipe as well. They didn't have the internet then. You had to get your recipes from the television. Either that, or you had to um, uh, send in via cookbook. <laughs> get a fax to you. Now, also, the, the listening for Frontline in the, green guide, uh, in the Green Guide is kind of interesting. It says here that Brody hosts the show for a week when Mike is given an overseas story. Oh, lordy. Brody. I don't know how they managed Brody? to get Brody, B-R-O-D-I-E, out of Brooke, but anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, that's not the only thing I'm, I'm interested in. Um, there was some interesting stuff uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald Guide, especially in the Antenna gossip column which is written by Shelley Dempsey um, there's a couple of items uh, one to do with Frontline the other one to do with uh, somebody from the Late Show so uh, yeah the first item goes like this look out for ad man John Singleton playing himself on television soon Singo is to make an appearance on Frontline in a few weeks but that's all the news out so far Senator Cheryl Kernow also taped an interview last Thursday for the show it will appear next Monday so next episode, basically. Apparently, she wanted to talk about serious things like the Foreign Investment Review Board, but Frontline thought that was boring, so it settled for grilling her about her position as a female in politics rather than her policies. <laughs> now, I must admit, I remember Cheryl Kerner. I don't quite remember John Singleton making a cameo. Can you? No. Mm, no. No. Not yet, anyway. It must be very brief. Quite possibly, so we'll, we'll try and, and keep a, a lookout for that. Um, there's also a bit of news from Shelley about TV TV. Now, last episode I mentioned that it was moving from Melbourne to Sydney. I actually got that wrong. It's the other way around. It's moving from Sydney to Melbourne. <gasps> you know, know what that give means? Me, give, me, give me the, yeah, give me the stamp. Pedantry. Ah! Oh. stings. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, Shelley writes... It's injected with acid. <laughs> uh, so Shelley writes, uh, word was getting around last week that possible hosts for TV TV when it, when it moves to Melbourne soon could include former game show expert Tony Barber, ABC <laughs> Radio's Peter Couchman, and former ABC Late Show member Tony Martin. Mm, what a shame. That never happened. <laughs> Uh, contacted in Melbourne by Antenna, Tony Barber, who quit his job on Radio 2KY in Sydney a few weeks ago, said he would love a national television show again, but had not yet been asked. I haven't heard a word, but I am enthusiastically interested, he declared. Antenna spoke to the ABC's head of arts and entertainment, Michael Shrimpton, who said that there was a long list of people. We are working our way through it, he said. A short list of eight desirables had been drawn up. Shrimpton declined to say who they were, but did confirm that Tony Martin had been approached. Tony Martin is a TV freak, but he wants to concentrate on his one-man show and his other work, he said. So he said no. And uh, as I mentioned before, it went to uh, Mark Mitchell and Tiffany Lamb. The other thing that caught my eye uh, is a couple of letters to the Green Guide. The first one is a very quick one. Uh, not actually to do with uh, Frontline, but... Um, uh, certainly a program that, that's up against it and a very familiar voice. There are fewer habits more grating than an incorrect pronunciation repeated again and again, and it is reasonable not to expect so much from a TV announcer. 
So if Peter Smith continues to improperly introduce Channel 9's Frasier, <laughs> pronounced Frasier, by any and all in the show itself, he might perhaps find himself negotiating a career move. And that's from Murray Whitkin of Elston Whit. <laughs> Murray, that's mean. G- give give Murray a pen and trust. No, I, I'm going to I'm going to give him a uh, and add extra acid. Pedantry. <laughs> yeah, disco disco pedantry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other letter that's there is um, to do with uh, a special guest that we've seen on Frontline recently. Why haven't the political pundits in the Age and other media realised it? Not one of them has disclosed the real reason why Dr. Houston is no longer the leader of the opposition. Forget fight back, forget the Ferraris, forget the unbending conservative attitudes. You can even discount the fact that the good doctor obviously sweats when he jogs. The real reason Dr. Houston is no longer the leader of the once great and glorious Liberal Party is simple. He took the ultimate risk. He exposed himself completely by appearing on the front line. Any person mad enough to subject himself voluntarily to the persistent probing questioning of Mike Moore should have realised what an intellectual domino effect it would set off. Robert Gordon Menzies would never have fallen for such a left-wing trap. True blue Liberal Party supporters can only hope and pray that Alexander Downer gracefully declines any invitation from the redoubtable Mike Moore. Steps need to be taken at once to ensure that in the unlikely event of Mike Moore applying for membership of the Adelaide Club, he is rapidly blackballed. And that's from possibly tongue-in-cheek, Robin F. Howes from Nunawadding. That's wild. It's got to be tongue-in-cheek if, if you're suggesting that Frontline's a left-wing <laughs> program. How would you know? It's only on once a week. And also John Hewson had the upper hand wow. in the episode, I mean... <laughs> so it's like they didn't even really watch it. They just looked at the listing and saw that he was on or something. Weird. Yeah, a bit of a weird correlation, appearing on Frontline and no longer being the leader. Yeah. Well, also, also, like he he smashes Mike Moore to bits yeah. in the program. So yeah. it's like a right of reply yeah. to a point. I don't get that letter at all. <laughs> can, can we get like a thing that's like pedantry, but it's just <laughs> baffling, baffling? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that that yeah, that clip of Bruce yeah. saying baffling. Right, baffling. <laughs> That's great, Prue. Thank you for that, Prue. <laughs> baffling. <laughs> All right, that's it. Let's get on to the episode. All right, you, you go, Alison. So, um, okay. all right, you're going to give me my backbeat. Oh, I will. Not, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> not that one. Can, can you see? I mean, I can do it. I can do it to that one if you you're want. Always a favourite. Okay, ready? Here. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alison. That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I, I need I need that kind of dirt 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 thing going on. Here we go. <laughs> this is the beat. So killing it. Oh, hang on, sorry. When do I come in? I'll tell you when. Three, two. Hello, I'm Alison. This is Frontline Season 1, Episode 6, Playing the Ego Card, broadcast Monday, June 13, 1994. Hey! Yeah. I love that theme. It's very obsession. 
the Sorry? theme is very yeah. succession in my really because I created that yeah, from scratch. Just, it, it obviously is frontline inspired, but I'm also getting succession notes, notes oh. of succession. <laughs> I have not seen an episode of succession. Don't oh, really? Oh, you'd love it. No, and I'm a pop culture nerd, so it's I, I keep reading all about it, but I never have actually watched an episode. Nor yeah, you would have heard a hell of a lot about it in the past yeah. week. Yeah, not to spoil it or anything. Yeah. People are just crapping on and on about success. Oh, indeed. <laughs> it's it's like the wire. It's like when the mm. wire was a thing. It's just people will not shut up about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, those were the days. <laughs> so the synopsis. For this episode of Frontline, Mike wants to boost his credibility, so he insists on going out on the frontline and covers a story in Bougainville. Meanwhile, Brooke takes full advantage of Mike's absence from the front desk by hosting Frontline, unquote. That's really it. So it's a lot of this. Blank canvas right across the episode is all about... I do like, I love this episode, I think, because it's got that sort of Robin Jane chemistry. You know, Durfred, of course, they've got chemistry. <laughs> Don't they play it <laughs> but, well? Um, yeah, I think it, they really do have this great vibe together where, you know, they're playing the, the hatred and the paranoia quite well. Uh, Mike is trying to convince Brian uh, to do a hard-hitting stories overseas uh, with some resistance and all while waiting for an interview with students from his old high school. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so a meeting with Brian, uh, Jan and Ian, the station manager, uh, over focus groups, and Ian wants to put Brooke in the chair presenting. Focus groups love her, apparently. So am I to take it? We ease off on Mike Moore's publicity and promotion? No, we do just the opposite. Mike Moore has this network's 100% support. Right up to the day we say. <laughs> that is strange. Yeah. Mm, brutal. Love that line. Yeah, that rings true. Very, very true. But, yeah, basically uh, uh, Brian uh, finds his excuse to send Mike off, really. And he, do- he does it in a very underhanded kind of way because, yeah, yeah, the very first scene, he's flat out refusing to send Mike away. Even though uh, he's now made up his mind to send him off, he he still plays it out in front of Mike in uh, in this very what's the word um, he, he he makes he, it yeah, he basically seem... does a, does a, does a play in, in front of Mike and sort of like pretends that he's softening to it yeah he makes it seem like it's Mike's idea it's, it's mm. that sort of tactic isn't yeah. it yeah it's brilliantly acted by Bruno yeah. like it's so yeah. well done the way he sort of looks like oh you know you absolutely can't go and. Then Mike's trying to convince him, and then, <laughs> and then he fake rings Farmer, uh, uh, mm. the uh, the station exec. I, I think that if Bruno uh, had been nominated for a Logie Award, like Best Supporting Actor or anything, like th- this was a really well acted episode for him. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the Logies yeah. had absolutely no credibility in the nineties, as Frontline Illustrated. But, you know, maybe the uh, AFIs, was television a category in the AFIs back in the 90s? No, I don't think it was. Frontline <laughs> did win an AFI, I think, for, for the program. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it won an AFI. And and there's footage of Jane accepting the award, I think. Oh, that's great, yeah. Yeah. I love the line in this opening bit where um, – you know, um, Mike Moore's going, don't underestimate our viewers, Brian. 
And he goes, I've made a career on it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does, going to Port Moresby to to report on the Civil War in Bougainville does seem like not quite a frontline story, you know, because frontline's very obviously playing in that kind of tabloid current affairs space where, you know, dodgy builders and, you know, and the siege mm. kind of story, you know, domestic stuff essentially. And I guess back in back in the 90s, you know, shows like A Current Affair, they still did occasionally do international stories because they hadn't quite made that shift into just total tabloid trash by that point. Mm. And this is one of those examples where it's really obviously uh, based on Ray Martin, you know, the mentions yeah. of when I was at the ABC and, you know, Ray did actually do some good interviews and excellent journalism at the ABC. <laughs> and maybe he was kind of trying to get back into that, you know, legit area at that time. Yeah, he's, he's trying to establish himself as a credible journalist rather than just some bloke who sits behind a desk. Well, that, that was around that time, that transition, where Willisey was leaving ACA and, and Ray was going to take over. Yeah. Yeah. Willisey, gosh. The show was actually called Willisey, wasn't it? Yeah, initially, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's two parts I like uh, out of this uh, section. Uh, the first is uh, Mike wrapping up the interview with the school kids, asking them to say hi to Father Stevenson for him, and the kids replying, he's dead. <laughs> and then Mike saying, oh, that's terrible. And then there's a line which isn't in the script book, which is just absolute killer. Well, Tell Father Stevenson I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely imagine Mike making that kind of weird faux pas. And there was that other bit as well where it illustrates how, you know, non-caring Mike is because um, Brian's clearly busting up with his wife and speaking to lawyers and he's gone, are you a Caroline all right? Yeah, we're all right. We're separated. <laughs> like it, he, just, he absolutely does not care about the answer. He's completely oblivious to the fact that his boss's marriage is breaking down. It's just so great. Little bits like that detail, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit of background for, uh, for Brian. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we also get uh, an interesting sort of a shot, which is uh, Brian calling Emma, pretending it's, um, it's Farmer. <laughs> Basically... Uh, Emma and uh, Mike performing in, in unison um, the, you know, either side of the office partition, yeah. basically. Isn't Alison White amazing? When they, when, they, when, when, they, <laughs> when they both find out that uh, Mike's going to be away from I her. love the – she's in the, in the background, distant shot, and she's just sort of miming all these things and you, you know exactly what she's saying, even though you, you cannot hear a word. <laughs> Can't hear it, yeah. yeah. And then, and then she she gets to do, which is it's practically a John a John Faye impression, just about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> leaping leaping up into the air, going, he's gone, he's gone, just about. The part I do like though too is once uh, Brian uh, is quite convinced, unquote, by Mike to do the story, uh, and he's telling. Uh, and Brian goes, oh, just we'll keep it hush-hush type thing. And so Mike was just so convinced the entire time. He's like, oh, kid, keep it quiet. Don't want to disturb the pot or anything like that. It is throughout the entire episode. Just little Everybody just grabs happens it. to know what's going <laughs> on. Mike is just going. <laughs> and that's absolutely probably because, you know, Brooks told them all or something like that. Well, yeah, the, the very next scene is um, a bit of a weird one for mine, but I think maybe it says quite a lot about Brooke. Uh, she's in the edit suite with Hugh. Um, and he gets a call from Emma, you know, talking about uh, 
lining up a promo because uh, she's going to be hosting for the next week. Basically, she hangs up, thinks, and then dials back saying, well, look, I'm in a bit of shock, but uh, I just wanted to say thanks for all the help you've given me, Emma. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a boost to the... <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, it's total yeah. suck-up case. It's like, oh, shit, I've been mean to this person who I will now heavily rely on for the next week. Who needs to make me look good? Mm. <laughs> you, you you have to be nice to the little people, Prue. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I think it's uh. just amazing throughout this episode that, like, Brooke has obviously been planning for this moment for, like, mm. years. And, and basically she's like, this is my <laughs> moment, you know, and so she just switches into I'm the host mode. But yeah. she's also got this really amazing thing that she does throughout this episode where – and it's kind of, it's sad that she has to do this, but she basically just tries to reassure Mike that she's not taking his job whilst totally undermining him the whole time. Yeah. And and she's she's doing that because she thinks this is her chance, you know? But she also realizes that it could just go back to how it was. So she's got to kind of play it both ways. And just it just shows you this character note about what a great manipulator she is and, and how ambitious she is as a person. Yeah, I love um, Tyriel Mora. What's his character's name? Can't remember. Um, Marty. Marty. Yeah, Marty. of course. Um, how he says, you know, is Lady Macbeth picking you up from the airport? Yeah, and, Lady and Macbeth. It's yeah. such a good line because it's like actually Brooke is being Lady Macbeth and I think that moment in the editing suite, she's got that perfect kind of, you know, it's all in the face, just the way she sort of looks like, right, this is my moment i'm so ambitious right now you know perfect i do love the fact uh that marty somewhat is being like i'd say out of character for him where he would always bully mike or always mm. make fun he's, of him he's, he's being skeptical bordering on paranoid yeah while he's trying to help mike out he's also showing his weaknesses yeah too. he's got ego as well like he wants yeah. to host yeah. and he's yeah. thinking fuck yeah. and hell like i'm the one with all the experience and ability why do I keep getting pushed out of the way it's it's great all well, the way it's this you know triangulation of ego from a professional point of view hosting the show for those guys is their only sort of route to any you know any kind of professional movement it's sort of on the one hand it's the ego that you know I'd like to be the host but also Marty says he's been doing it for you know 20 years he's his career is over unless he becomes a host and he's not going to become a host. So it's kind of like, well, this is it for you. Get used to it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is beautiful sage advice from Marty. Here's some friendly advice, okay? Yeah. yeah. Never let anyone fill in for you who might be capable of taking your job. Oh, I'm I mean, a bit paranoid. Why, why do you think everyone gets Peter Luck to do their show every <laughs> summer? Because he's no threat to anyone. <laughs> well, you don't think Brooke would actually. Who knows? Who knows? Don't get into that game, okay? No. You know what really matters? I mean, after all the magazine covers and the celebrity stuff, what really matters? No. You open the top drawer of my desk someday, mate. <laughs> the top drawer? What, what? Just open it. In the meantime, you watch your back. Peter Luck, did he say? Inside Edition with Peter Luck, Tuesday, 9.30, Channel 10. That's the latest from us. I'm Ross Simons. Update soon tonight, but now Peter Luck with Today Tonight. <laughs> Oh, Peter Luck was uh, but that, that's really, He was. That's really true advice, though. There's there's a couple of people I know in, in the media sort of thing who get decent jobs 
and it is literally because they're not seen as a threat. They're like, okay, you can do this for a couple of weeks or we'll get you into a place. And it's literally, yeah, the person who has the job makes sure that nobody who can be a threat will get a chance at their job. <laughs> I reckon Tony, I reckon Channel 9's Tony Jones might be one of those people because he, he seems to fill in every, every now and again. But Tony Jones is really interesting because I, I heard on the grapevine that he, he would like to be the newsreader, but Peter Hitchner is never going. They'll take him out in a box. And he's been doing it for some huge amount of time. And he was the, the chosen replacement for years for Brian Naylor before that. So Tony Jones is just like sitting there every year going, is this my shot? And it's, it's not his well, shot. Well, that's so interesting because Tony Jones is very much like a Marty character. Because what, what was the thing that... Um, Bruno actually said like he was too rough or he was too hard-edged or something and Tony Jones yeah. has that sort yeah. of look like he'd knock you one in the, in the pub or something like but Peter Hitchener oh, yeah. Peter Hitchener is the nicest <laughs> guy sure. in the world like he's everybody's grandpa and he's just sweet I follow him on Twitter like no irony <laughs> everybody loves Peter Hitchener but yeah I think I'm pretty sure there's a couple of like YouTube compilations of Tony Jones' rough moments with his football commentary because there's been a few times where he's said things and people have taken it the wrong way. And there's been first. a few awkward moments. There, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's yeah it's very much that Marty character who's like I've I've done the hard yards I've got you know the runs on the board and management are just going that is not what we're <laughs> looking for in a host. No. We, we need somebody who's just not you. Mate, I've witnessed that many a time. It, it sucks because you're watching people who have worked so damn hard just getting overlooked just for something else. Sometimes you just can't explain it, but it yeah. is that, – that, that's it's full ego and it's not even worthy of that trigger uh, sound effect. But, <laughs> uh, ego, but there, there are just some who are just completely innocent and deserve better. But at the end of the day, unfortunately, that's how – Media works sometimes. And the one thing that they don't actually say out loud is that it's all about eye candy. You know, um, Marty, mm. poor old Marty is not in the same league as, you know, Mike Moore and Brooke Vandenberg. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole thing with hosting is that they, they never sort of say to you in the media, but it's a, it's a different job and it has different requirements. And so many people you go through and you think, that's the next stop for me. And it's like, no, that person has a different set of skills to what you yeah. have. Nobody's ever sat you down and said, you're not good looking enough to be the host, but being good looking is what they want in a host. And if you're Marty, you know, you're pretty good looking, but you're just not going to be the host of a national current affairs show. You know, you might get to be the host of the late night, you know, interrogation news sort of thing, but yeah, that's as far as you're going to go because you just don't meet a standard that you weren't told about. Now they're on the head. We skipped over uh, a scene uh, where um, Stu and Jace are going through hmm. uh, Brooke Vandenberg's Not So Little Black Book. Was that before Brooke uh, recording her facial promo shots? Yeah, it's it, yeah. the address book yeah. is well, before well, that. So Stu and Jace are going through Brooke's address book and they find various phone numbers of different male celebrities. So we've got Greg Norman... Wayne Gardner, Michael Hutchins. And there's also one that they find, but this line was cut for some reason. Maybe someone can take a guess as to why. 
and Stu's reading the reading the book and he says, God, it's true about Paul Mercurio. <laughs> now, <laughs> oh, I don't know. No. I mean, there's been plenty of rumours about Paul Mercurio, but what was the one they might have been referring to in 1994? Oh, I, I can't wonder. remember what it is. I just remember that there was one. Was there? Don't touch his bike. Oh, don't <laughs> touch his bike. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, write in if you know. We have to be careful what we say now about Paul Mercurio because he is a MP, so, you know. The Honourable oh. Mr. Mercurio. Uh, for who, my steps, for my what? way, Fran. <laughs> who, who has voted this man Yeah, in? he's a member for Hastings, federally. Wow. <laughs> what? Didn't you know that? Oh, my goodness. Well, I I didn't. Obviously it, wasn't it wasn't on the front page of the Times? Come <laughs> yeah. on. I actually well, would it, have it thought also wasn't the, on the front UK page of the Guardian. residents would be interested in that because of their fascination <laughs> with Strictly. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, wasn't his character like his surname Hastings? No. In Strictly Blue. Oh, shit. Yeah. Mm. Wasn't it Scott Hastings? Oh, my God. Why hasn't anyone connected that dot before? Probably not the member for Hastings. It's just one hundred percent. His character's name is Scott Hastings. <laughs> strictly boring. Was that it's his a, slogan? It's a champagne, champagne comedy exclusive. I assume that was his slogan. I've played. I've played a Hastings, so therefore I can represent Hastings. I don't know. No, no, no. no. I reckon his slogan would have been uh, Paul Mercurio for Hastings. New steps. New steps. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, come on. No one got that Doug Anthony All-Stars? Oh, no, that's a very obscure. <laughs> nope. It's amazing he won with these crappy slogans, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he needs to work harder. I'm, I'm now pretty sure I've got the division wrong. Holy <laughs> shit. You are right, Prue. He won the ultra-marginal seat of Hastings. Oh, okay. So Hastings for oh. Hastings. <laughs> okay, which, which party does he represent? Labor. There we go, people. If you didn't work that out already, we just worked it out for you. That is Hastings for Hastings. Come for Frontline, stay for the political <laughs> insight. Ah, yes. So there we go. There's an exclusive. Hastings for Hastings. Boom, boom. I'm sure there's a Hustings joke in there oh, somewhere yes, as well. Oh, yes, there is. Hastings appears on the on the the Hastings hustings <laughs> something like that. Bobo. Okay. Well, there's five minutes of the podcast you can edit out <laughs> <laughs> and turn into a separate, far more popular podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Reset. All right. So, yes. Next thing we see is uh, Brooke uh, in the frontline stu- studio. Recording her promo, despite the fact that they haven't even written it yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, with all the facial shots of the concerned look, uh, there was also the reassuring look, the turn of the head that looked like the concerned look, but with a head nod, <laughs> as well as the smart look, <laughs> uh, which Brooke had no idea what that would be. Well, what would that be? I mean, <laughs> how do you look smart? <laughs> It's the opposite of goofy, I guess. Because <laughs> no one, no one asked it to do a goofy turn to camera. <laughs> I suppose that's where you take your glasses off, or so. Yes, yeah, that'd be it. Sort of this kind of, yeah. and sort of, and sort of put the and put and put the put the put the, oh, the end of the, the glass in your oh, mouth. Oh yeah, like, that's it. Like, like, like that's it. Yep. Oh jeez, hold on, hold on. Let me get my glasses. <laughs> so I can be part of the cool kids club. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, no, Wait. So you've got the glasses and then. Mm. Uh. And looking into the middle distance. Yeah. Mm. See, I thought the joke was going to be that all three looks were exactly the same, but she did have to them up a little it bit. It was like the Zoolander before it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. The blue and... steel. Well, that's the thing, though, yeah, with those promos. It's the voiceover that really makes them. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever her special expression is, if it's like, you know, she's on the cutting edge of danger, same face <laughs> to, you know, she's got a warm heart and she's there for those who need help. You know, whatever the voiceover does, the face is just, yeah, seems legit. <laughs> well, I like the fact that her absolute bitch look was perfect. Yeah, she, oh, yeah. Does, she was good at excellent that. Excellent bitch face, doesn't she? You know oh. <laughs> That's about 80% of Brooke in the office. Just <laughs> <laughs> so, with that, uh, Marty's pissed off that he's been overlooked for filling in with Mike, uh, but we've already covered that, the poor guy. Mike eventually checks out Marty's top drawer. I, I love this bit. He, he opens the top drawer and he, he sees a banana. And then he pulls out the banana and he kind of looks at it and he kind of goes, oh, yeah. And and he sort of, he left wondering, what, is, what does he think? What does he think the banana means, right? It's and, a really surreal it. moment. Like it could be in an yeah. art film or something. Yeah. And, and spoilers. I don't, want, I don't want to spoil this for anyone, but he, we never actually find out what he thinks the banana means, which is kind of a shame. He seems to think that if you put a banana in your top drawer, you're going to be a good journalist. No, I got the impression. Yeah. Maybe it's superstitious. From the look across maybe his face. Old, maybe it's an old journalist's tale, you know? But uh, I got the impression from the look across his face in that moment that he's like, yeah, that's right, Marty. It is all just a big joke. <laughs> but, you know, but then later on he goes, what did the banana mean? <laughs> so I just thought a bit like, you know, Oh, I've got, you've got to keep it real, you know, keep it grounded. Just having a banana there is like part of real life. You're not getting cut off from the regular folk. But, it's all you know, about that, peeling back the layers. <laughs> there the we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. I, either that or you've got an avocado in there as well and you want to ripen it. So it's, <laughs> it's one of those yeah. things. <laughs> did they know just, that in the 90s? Just have I don't it in- think they did. I I think I knew that in the nineties. He's got an entire fruit and vegetable basket in the. In the <laughs> it's the con the fruiter a crossover. We didn't know we wanted. Oh, a couple yeah. of days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, that is all it takes when you put the banana and the avocado in. And, and anyway, <laughs> moving, moving on. Yeah, but Emma thinks the story is a bit of a dud. The one that uh, Mike is trying to find in Bougainville. And Brian knows what he's doing, really. He's kind of sticking with it because he's there's a game afoot with this one. And we do see the promo uh, that is promoting Brooke and Mike. And it looks great. It's a pretty good promo, even though it's only like a second of... It doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of Mike in it. It doesn't have a lot no. of Mike, doesn't have a lot of Brooke. It's a, they've got equal amount, top and tail. Whenever Frontline does this sort of thing, I assume it's like a direct reference to something from the 90s. I always think there must have been a point where, you know, someone was trying to be manoeuvred into the top slot and they did a promo like this where they kind of sidelined the main host. If there is, I don't know what it is, I'm afraid. None come to mind. It's just (laughs) whenever I watch Frontline, it's like, if this was the 90s, I would be like, 
oh, that was like that week Stan Grant went away. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> those days are long gone. And yeah. Well, anyway, if, if you've got a specific example, write in and tell us because we yeah. know, clearly. <laughs> or, if you got, yeah. or send us a YouTube link if you've got a, a promo out there that's very similar to what they're trying to parody or mimic. Brian does have a, a point about uh, why Mike has to go. Uh, which is to basically insert himself into the story, really, mm. like using yeah. the the example of uh, sixty minutes sending Richard Carlton to Baghdad. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was, well, and, and it was, it was not, it was not because they wanted him dead. No, but disappointing. Yeah, but that that's the thing with Frontline as well. A lot of the time, the bits, the individual parts of the story are. are are true that's sort of based on journalistic reality it's like yes there, there's no story if mike's not there but then the way they fit them together to tell the wider sort of thing is what reveals you know what's really going on mm. i mean it, yeah as you say it's it's correct they've got to have mike there but the reason why he's there is not the reason mike is thinks again it comes down to ego but it's a different kind of aspect to it it's possibly i mean it might be maybe massaging Brian's ego, as it were. Well, that, that well, it's comes like, up a bit later, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Mm. It's like the thing now, though, when you have news stories and there's literally no visual component. If you watch the ABC, they do a lot of those stories where it's they're talking about an issue. The journalist isn't involved in the issue. It's, you know, an issue that stands alone. But you have to have a way of having the journalist doing the reporting somehow visually connected. So, you know, they'll be standing on a street corner or, you know, on the ABC roof. If you know where the ABC offices are, half the time it's like, oh, they're just standing on South Bank. They just went outside to shoot this bit. But they need to do it to hold the story together and go, I'm part of the story rather than just having a voiceover for three minutes. That's why when you watch yeah. the news now, and thanks to technology and stuff like that, it's everything is... Uh, and blah, blah, blah is out. And this is an exclusive, you know, trying to get that exclusivity yeah. saying, hey, we're five kilometres down the road. But hey. It's like, it's whenever they do reports on petrol prices, the reporter is always at a service mm. station. And it's like, well, why? How is this? <laughs> it's like, I'm here at the corner of so-and-so and prices are going up. And it's like, yes, because the sign is behind you. I actually <laughs> walked past one of those crossovers um the other day and the female journalist was I thought it was interesting first of all she was reading from her phone so her script was on her phone I thought that's modern <laughs> and then the other <laughs> thing was she had a like a blue powder blue suit on a trouser suit but she also had a really industrial pair of runners <laughs> so it was like she'd run to the to South Bank just so, so they could get you know some Pauls in the background or something <laughs> I don't know what she was talking about <laughs> I was trying to look through the script to find this bit that I quite liked. Um, there's this bit where Emma's coming into Brian's office and she goes, oh, Mike, your weatherman friend is looking for you. <laughs> and no, um, Mike yeah. goes, his name is Jeff. <laughs> and it's just this funny thing and I, I couldn't, it's obviously unscripted unless it is in the script book and I cannot find it. But, um, yeah, I just thought that was cute. Uh, no, it, it is it is there. Emma, your weatherman friend's looking for you. Mike, brackets, impatiently as if she ought to know this. Jeff, his name's Jeff. <laughs> He's on the roof. Yep. 
So I, I feel like that, you know, acting description of impatiently is kind of a Rob Sitch trademark. Yeah. It's like, when you think of him, it's that kind of frustrated, come on, guys, sort of yeah. approach. Yeah, we, we are on, on the roof and a very avant-garde scene, really. Yeah, it's no close-up of Jeff at all. I know, it made me think if that was, um, if they had to just go with that scene, like being shot like that, like maybe there was a... A camera that failed and they had the backup one that only <laughs> it was just so strange wasn't it it was like yeah. seriously six meters away easily <laughs> maybe they just had well, to I... they didn't have someone else to operate the camera because like santo yeah. used to operate the camera didn't he and yeah. and so like he's in the but there scene. was that backup so i'm thinking lady. maybe they just there, joanne or... yeah but i don't know maybe she wasn't available and they just had it on a tripod. Yeah, maybe they were and, all too scared to yeah. climb the yeah. roof. <laughs> and it was just Rob and Santa <laughs> yeah. going up the ladder. <laughs> it just looked to me like he'd set the camera up and then he'd run into the scene. And it was yeah. just the camera was the nearest flat point just happened to be, you know, eight metres away from where they were. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was sitting there going, Jeff, remind me, who, who's Jeff? What does Jeff look like? It's like, it, it's Rob and, and Santa talking with the, the crappy picture quality. Of, of all of the, the, the non-broadcast footage. Uh, like, yeah, it's just two blues on a roof having a chat about about Micah, uh, you know, going off and Brooke taking over. And it really was just to sort of underline the fact that everybody knows what's going on. Mike is sort of there going, how is this getting out there? But, you know, everyone knows. And it, you didn't really need any, you know, Oscar award-winning acting from Santo in that scene to get it across. No, and then uh, Mike does complain to Brian because he thinks he might get replaced, which will be damaging to his. <laughs> and he's off to the doctors as well to uh, get his jabs, really. Um, before but before that, is that the scene where he goes to Brian? I'm worried about Brooke. Uh, I reckon she's smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Couldn't possibly have someone smart. <laughs> no, not a smart woman either. But you know what he means. It's like the I, I, there's a joke in my family about um, the you don't want to be the kind of person who remembers something. And it's like, yeah, you know what, you know what smart means in this context? It's not a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a bit in the script actually where Brian says she's too smart to want your job. All she wants to do is look like she could do your job, and you know that that's obviously not true because she absolutely does want his job. But that just shows Brian's very very good at saying the right thing to per, to placate Mike. You know, is mm. that the line they changed to? She doesn't want your job. She wants Ray Martin's job. Oh, there's a bit. There's a second oh, bit. Okay. Um, in in the end, she wants Ray Martin's okay. job. Is the next line, yeah. We're at the doctors, and while Mike gets his shot, there's more banter about Brooke filling in. I've heard something. Like what? All just about her and certain male celebrities. Come on, you ought to know oh, a lot more than I. A lot of rumours, <laughs> like the one about her being a real bitch. You would have heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> But I love that line. It just clangs to the ground, doesn't yeah. it? It's like, what did he say? <laughs> I love the bit where the nurse comes in, yeah. you know, and he thinks it's an autograph hunter for him and then he finds out that, no, she wants Brooks' <laughs> yeah. autograph. And just the classic way that Rob Sitch sort of recaps his pen in, in like 
yep, okay, not for me. <laughs> There's a nice line in the next scene, actually, where Mike's talking to Domenica and Mike asks her, what do you think of Brooke? And, and in this typical kind of Domenica having a completely different take to everyone else, she says, I think she's a bit nuts. <laughs> I know. That's so great. I love Domenica. And if there's one thing that Brooke is not, it's nuts. <laughs> and um, the cleaner, I love the way he goes, Brooke's going to be your new boss lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very beautiful, very smart. Well, that's where uh, the yeah. next morning Mike and Brooke do come head to head. Mike, Listen, even I, though I, I'm going to be behind the desk, I think it should still look like you're running the show. Hey, I'm not precious. I've got no problems no, about no, you I running the show. for the sake of the show, it should look like the spotlight's still on you. Whatever, whatever. Because it's such a great story you're doing. Yeah, well, that's what being a journo is all about. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. If you get a chance, uh, why don't you check my top drawer someday? That's what really matters. <laughs> a delicious banana of Jane's, success. And, and Jane's look on her face at that Jane's moment. Jane's look is like, amazing. I'm never going to fucking yeah. touch your top drawer. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just wind back slightly? There is another cut line, actually. There's a bit where um, Jan is talking to Brooke about various um, publicity opportunities and um, <laughs> they they go through New Weekly are doing a My Favourite Fashion Accessory list and then the next one, and this is a cut line, Telegraph Mirror are running a celebrity stars and baths, famous people in the bath. Brooke shakes her head, no again. And then Jan says, I tend to agree. <laughs> so, sadly, we don't get stars in their baths. Alison, you missed your calling. You could have been a Jan. <laughs> I I could have been, but I guess I've got like a soul. <laughs> <laughs> Some Somewhere underneath it all, I've got a kind of a soul or a bullshit detector or something. I'll know. hear nothing bad said about the gallant people in the PR industry that I have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. They're great. They actually do do a good yeah, job. The, the phrase, I job. have to deal with them, says a lot, Tony. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to talk their language, but in the end, you need them. Well, they have my sympathies because they have to deal with me. So, you know. <laughs> and comments made by Alison about PR people are... <laughs> Only for <laughs> Alison and not all the views of anyone else on the podcast. I, I Just for the record, I have met and worked with individual PR people who are very lovely and professional and good at their job. <laughs> but some of them really, really suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, look, seeing some of the things they have to promote, they get my sympathies. There's, yeah, there's been some times where I've dealt with them and you're sort of going... They're acting really weird. What is going on here? Why are they making this so difficult? And then you get to see what they're promoting, and it's like, oh, okay. I, this, uh, this makes a lot more sense. Puppetry of the penis like, again. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that was gold. Now Marty gets told by Mike that he's being too harsh on Brooke, but Marty completely doubts it. So you just can't convince Mike otherwise. Um, but at the desk in the studio. Uh, you have Mike and Brooke telling the audience what's happening next week, and I just <laughs> this scene is just it is such, a, it is such a frosty atmosphere <laughs> between the two of them. This is what I mean by their chemistry is just amazing. <laughs> Sparks are flying. Yeah, it is. It is this sort of weird kind of verbal ping pong match between uh, Mike and Brooke. I'll be away next week. 
filing a series of reports from the battlefields of Bougainville. And I couldn't think of a better person to fill in behind this desk than senior frontline reporter Brooke Vandenberg. Thanks, Mike, and we look forward to some fascinating reports from our troubled northern neighbours. Yes, it certainly is an interesting area. Keep safe, Mike. Yes, and good luck with the desk. Thank you very much. Look after it. I'm sure I will. All the best. Thank you. Good luck. That's all for tonight and this week. Good night. Good night. Good night. Flash forward through the week and Brian has discovered that Mike has barely laid down anything substantial uh, in Bougainville. Here in the foothills, the PNG National Guard are under constant attack from the secessionist rebels in the junks. Sorry guys, sorry, when I talk you have to shoot, okay? You understand that? We've gone through this a couple of times. Take four. Here in the foothills, the PNG National Guard are under constant attack from the secessionist rebels in the junks. Sorry, when I say, when I talk you shoot, okay? That's when you shoot. No, 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 no. When, I, when I talk you shoot, okay? Here in the... And there's more and more of that. Well, that reminds me of the time when Ian Leslie was out in the fields. And, you know, when they, uh, oh, I can't remember it because I'm just thinking with the top of my head, but the one that the clip gets played a lot oh, when they yes. do flashbacks of 60 minutes and stuff like that, where the uh, the chief or whatever, because he's asking him about how do you execute people and he goes, like this, and then you just... Oh, which just thankfully was empty. And oh, yes, thankfully. Was, was it an empty round? But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a real shame. Ian Leslie was the quintessential intrepid mm. reporter, I think. He really did go to the mouth of the volcano. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's what that reminded me of, but just a failed version of it. I enjoyed the bit just before that, I think, where... Um, Mike and Brooke are on the phone and they're obsessed with oh, yeah. the throws. Like, you yes. know, Brooke wants to dictate what Mike says, so, you know, when you throw back to me and like, no, I've already faxed them through to Brian and Brian produces <laughs> Br- Br- Brian up. gets it out the bin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like the most insane thing. <laughs> but that's 90% of Mike's job. Well, Brooke's job for this episode is literally sit at the desk and go, hmm, yes. Confronted news, you know. Back to you in the studio. <laughs> that's, that's something I I really did miss from uh, from seeing Brooke uh, at the front line desk. There, we do we, we do get to see her, but only in this sort of weird kind of rehearsal footage where you know she tells the auto cue person, uh, "Can you roll that quicker? I read faster than mine." Yes, that was great. <laughs> I don't even need I a rehearsal. <laughs> I would have really liked to have seen Brooks. Mm. So I think the reason why they didn't do that, because once you see Brooke hosting the show, it would be obvious that she wouldn't be that good a host. Like she's too sort of flinty, whereas Mike is kind of a bit of a dumbass, but he's sort of able to project that right. concern that she doesn't have. Well, I, mean, I think, you know, if Brooke was a real journalist, she would be able to do it, by which I mean like in the real world. But as far as Frontline's concerned, her character is... She's kind of a bit sort of stiff and bitchy to people and that would come through as a host that would not make her look like a good host. She can turn on the concern like, you know, when when she was trying to get the the mother of the siege guy to cry, there was a bit where she genuinely (laughs) did seem to be kind of... um, you know, genuine for a moment, but it's it's her. Yeah. It's the fact that yeah. it's so it's fake. Like she can act it just well enough, but then when she switches yeah. to normal, she's just kind of an, an ambitious, bitchy type of person, uh, really. 
And plus, she would have to be pretending to be concerned about Mike, which would be somewhat unlikely. <laughs> that would be hard for her character, yeah. Well, one of the wonderful things about Frontline is that there is this sort of layer to it where, you know, they you can it's believable that they are real journalists and they can actually do the job. Like, they're not morons. Like, well, yes, they are, but they're also... <laughs> able to turn up to work and do their job you know like it's not a complete disaster they do actually deliver the to the deadline like I, I like the whole ending of the episode where you know clearly it all came together they got this amazing report out of it, it it's going to be investigated by the government it was actually a good bit of journalism and it's like although you have that gotcha moment where Emma finds that bit in the helicopter blah blah and we'll get to that it's like Mike obviously had to do the work on the ground for that story to come out like he would have taken that information and gone and done his job and so it's although they don't play on that very much because that's not very funny you can sort of believe that they, they're okay. <laughs> it's a good show. Yeah. We find out that um, there's no Bowdenville story happening that night uh, on the show. Uh, and uh, we also uh, find the last bit of paranoia from Marty talking about how Brian's house of cards is about to fall down around him. And, yeah, we get to basically see, well, <laughs> basically a blooper reel's worth of Bowdenville footage. Which is brilliant until... Emma discovers something. Yes, um, Emma discovers that the helicopters were provided by Australia for humanitarian purposes only. And this is actually inspired by something that really happened in 1991. Now, I'll just give you a bit of background on this story. So the Civil War in Bougainville started up in 1988. And the reason for the Civil War was that there were tensions over a copper mine on the island, which was which had been operated by Rio Tinto since the 1960s. And if you want to read about that background, it's all on Wikipedia and, and other sources. But essentially what happened is um, the Civil War went on for a couple of years and then the PNG government forces withdrew from the island in 1990 and the Bougainville Revolutionary Army or the BRA declared independence. But then um, Papua New Guinea imposed a blockade on the island, which they enforced with boats and helicopters, which had been supplied by the Australian government as aid. However, um, Australia supplied the helicopters without weapons, and under the terms of that deal, they were supposed to be used for non-military purposes. And the story of these helicopters that Australia had given to PNG became public when a Four Corners reporter called Deborah Snow interviewed a Papua New Guinean colonel called Leo Nuia and he told her on camera that his soldiers had executed Bougainvillean civilians and then dumped their their corpses in the ocean from these Australian helicopters. And here's the footage from Four Corners. The killing of these villagers and the callous disposal of their bodies from the helicopters became known as the St Valentine's Day Massacre. Rumours of it soon reached the Defence Department in Canberra. Prime Ministerial inquiries were made. But till now, both Canberra and Moresby have maintained that it's been impossible to prove the allegations. We press them as hard as we we possibly can. The the problem that's uh, been articulated to us uh, has been the absence of access to witnesses and the incapacity to mount a proper inquiry, in particular, for example, of the alleged uh, St Valentine's Day massacre 
and the uh, the dropping of bodies in the sea. And What's so your latest report on that? Well, our latest report is that the inquiry uh, being conducted with the military is still stalemated by that uh, problem of access to witnesses, which uh, on that basis is unlikely to be able to be moved forward. You've got no some... doubt that it occurred, though. Well, there is certainly uh, a substantial body of prima facie evidence uh, that something really rather nasty did occur. But Four Corners has now obtained from Colonel Nuya himself the first official confirmation of the incident. The allegations were that uh, the bodies were dumped out in the sea using the helicopters. Were the allegations uh, found to be true by your investigation? Yes, they were found to be true. And did you take any follow-up action after that? There was a major inquiry by the Defence Force, or by Defence. And what was the result of the inquiry? My response to that uh, was that any inquiries to the any uh, incident like that should be left until after the Bougainville situation is resolved. But you know who, who was responsible? Not all. But, but uh, these obviously were, were troops under your control. Oh, yes, they were. But, yeah, it was a pretty sensational discovery by Four Corners. And that's what's inspired this particular plot element of Frontline. What's kind of interesting is that there was, by the time of 1994, there was a ceasefire. I don't know at which point in 1994 there was a ceasefire declared. But so it might have happened while they were making this episode or afterwards. I'm not sure. I couldn't find that information. But yeah, wow, the helicopter story. Pretty mm. amazing. Mm. So, so what you're saying is that Frontline restarted the conflict in Bougainville. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it may still have been kind of going on when they made the episode and it aired. I'm not sure. If you know, write in. Please do. <laughs> and 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 Brian uh, responds to Emma's revelation that uh, the, the the choppers uh, have machine guns on them. Uh, the only way that he can by asking Emma to marry him. Well, he's available. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile. After Mike manages to get a spear through customs. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was plastic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, returns to the office. Uh, he catches up with Marty. Are the banana in the drawer? The banana? In your top drawer, this one. You asked me to look in your top drawer. It's gone. I ate it. What did it have to do with journalism? Look further in, Mike. It's a Walkley Award. Now do you understand what I'm talking about? Sorry, I forgot why you asked me to look. <laughs> and full circle. <laughs> so he's a moron. <laughs> yeah. I did like that the the you know the deep and meaningful moral moral of the story was that winning awards is what counts in journalism, <laughs> which you know, probably not really the case. But you know, good on Marty for having a war. Oh, exactly. So that's why he could have easily been a host. But he was too good to be the host. <laughs> Only so that they could say Walkley Award winning journalist Martin D'Astasio in the promos. <laughs> so after a successful story on the choppers, ratings galore and everything, Brian gives Brooke and Mike the stroke of the... <laughs> Even though... Oh, yes. Mm, 
even though Emma was the one who kind of discovered it. And while uh, Emma's gets praise, Brian eventually claims credit overall. Yeah. What a well-written scene. Oh, it was fantastic. (laughs) And then totally stealing the credit. I can't believe that. Well, I can believe it. <laughs> now, it this was a. I very... mean, he he was kind of on the edge there because if if this Bougainville story, if they hadn't found anything, he probably would have been gone, Brian. Yeah, because so... it's so much easier to yeah. replace the faceless producer. Mm-hmm. Is what yeah. is he? An executive producer? What is his executive title? producer? Yeah, yeah. 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 Easy P and and well. In series three, they make a few jokes about what EP actually stands for, but we're going to have to wait a while yeah. before we get to them. Sizzle. If you if you can guess what EP means, write in. <laughs> the one thing I like out of all of this is that Emma knows that um, what Brian has said to him about how you made all of these figures, uh, he's also said to, to Brooke and Mike. So, again, it's sort of showing that, you know, like, Emma, Emma knows how this game works. You know, she's, I would, I would say that she, she's probably the smartest out of everyone that works in that, yeah. uh, in that building. Yeah, but that was what's so great about the scene because although it, it seems like Emma, oh, she's more, you know, intelligent than everyone else and she doesn't need that bullshit, she does. Everybody needs praise. Yeah. And so yeah. it's a classic, you know, oh, yeah, no, you're the best, like that kind of thing, and she feels chuffed. It's the acknowledgement. It's yeah, No matter how exactly. small it is, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm human. I'm not a number. Thank you. <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, if the number is on your pay packet and the number. <laughs> that's the that's real the recognition <laughs> that you need. That's the, number that you, yeah. that's the number to get. And then, yeah, just to know that you are more than just a heartbeat in the building. <laughs> Sorry. That and having a banana in the top drawer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's the title. Just comes full circle. That's the title of Martin D'Astasio's biography, you know, a banana in the top drawer, the Martin D'Astasio store. <laughs> <laughs> Brackets, a... there's a Walkley Award behind it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you have the banana on the front cover and then the back cover has the Walkley and it's like, you know, two sides. Mm. Well, that concludes Frontline Season 1, Episode 6, and the Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 46. Hooray, Episode Hooray. 46. Getting there. Oh, now, also, sorry, very, very final thing, uh, and it's, it's to do with the credits. You know how uh, I spotted uh, from Episode 1 uh, that there was two Vs in the produced by Frontline Television Productions in association with the V. ABC. Mm-hmm. Well, as of episode six, they fixed the title. Oh, all right. Hey. Wow. People wrote took in. Them five episodes. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So feel free to send any more pedantic uh, moments uh, or just random feedback. Uh, emails. Or champagne. baffling moments. We're, we're interested now in baffling moments. Yeah, baffling. baffling. <laughs> yep. Sorry, I'll correct myself there. Baffling. baffling. Moments. Send through your baffling moments to uh, champagnelateshow at gmail.com or to Twitter at Teela Champagne, as well as uh, check out the website champagnecomedy.com, where I won't waffle on for half an hour in in regards to the news. You'll probably see it there where possible to update on the website, <laughs> as well as uh, the Facebook page Late Show. 
and search for Champagne Comedy Podcast as well on Facebook um, and into the group. Um, and uh, yeah, you get to mingle posting random shit as well. Um, <laughs> don't forget to support us, bit.ly slash Champagne Comedy for our really shitty merchandise store, which uh, 100% up on last year. We haven't sold anything. Hooray! I'll have to replace my uh, bus trip to barrel, barrel. t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i got to get myself a new coffee mug uh, with pedantry on it. So, yeah. Oh, oh actually, actually uh, what, what was the word? Uh, baffling. 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 There we go. We'll make a coffee mug with baffling on it. <laughs> so, as always, thank you so much for joining uh, for this episode, which I didn't think who was actually going to turn up <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> Alison, Daniel, Prue and Tony, thank you for coming. Uh, yeah, have had a lot going on. Also, please share the podcast as well because um, I can't mention a person's name, but we were so bloody close on getting a big name star on, the, on this episode. But uh, due to a possible conflict of interest, uh, <laughs> um, it couldn't happen. So, yeah, that's... And that's why I hate Craig McLaughlin for life now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mention his name again. He's close to Yana Vent, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Who who else has... What's a journalist that's disgraced himself? Oh, actually, no. <laughs> that, that's open up for slander. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, again, thank you, everyone, for listening and downloading. Uh, I really appreciate it. And so I'm Matt, and catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions at fulton.com.au. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I'm, yeah. I'm having the last Bye. word. Yeah. That's Bye. No, no, Good I'm night. having Good the last word. <laughs> oh, come on. Bye. Me. Bye. Me having the last word. You're right. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Daniel. Cool. Bye. Bye. Yeah, see ya. Ha <laughs> 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 <laughs>